This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr. And today we have a couple of special guests on the pod. We have Heidi Erickson, the CEO of Door County Y. Heidi, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. And also hopping on the podcast today is Tanya Felloffer, the Director of Financial Development and Membership at the Door County Y. Correct. Thank you for having us. Wanted to have you both here, uh, especially Heidi yourself, because you joined the Y in January. Well, came back to Door County and the Door County Y in January to take over from Tom Bernstein, who retired after several years at the helm. Door County Y is one of the largest organizations, one of the largest employers in Door County, and it fills a huge role for those of our listeners who are not familiar. The YMCA has two locations in Door County. You have the Fish Creek Program Center and the Sturgeon Bay Program Center. Operate a little bit autonomously, but within the, the overall umbrella of the Door County Y. And it's a pretty unique organization in Door County. I think in the past, leaders of the Y has told me that the Fish Creek Y especially, YMCA in a community that small doesn't really exist elsewhere in the country. So it's a very unique structure that you guys have here. And we're pretty fortunate to have it in Door County. Heidi, what can you tell me about your background um, before you took over in January? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm familiar with our community and this organization. I had worked for our Northern Door facility as the executive director of our Fish Creek branch from July of 2016 through August of 2019. I've had rather extensive YMCA background. I've worked for the Green Bay Y. I was the branch executive on two different occasions for the East Side Y in Bellevue, which is their newest branch. Um, I served there from 2009 through 2012, and then I went back there in 2019 when I left the Door County Y. Outside of that, I've also worked for the Eau Claire YMCA, where I served as the associate exec, as well as the health and wellness director. So um, for me to be back in this community, I'm humbled and I'm honored to have this opportunity to now be guiding our organization as we move into the future. How do you end up in a role like this, working for the Door County Y? Did you have some sort of inspiration, just took a job? How did this come about? I'll go back to 2016 when I first had the opportunity to come to this organization. Really, for me, I had gotten out of the Y for a bit. I was with Park and Rec as well, so I've kind of bounced between Parks and Recreation and the YMCA. And when I when I was with the Appleton Parks and Recreation, I was just really missing the Y and what the Y <laughs> really does. It's that feel good that you get every day. You're constantly interacting with people and that sense of community that you know that you're truly doing. Where in a park and rec, you are serving a community, but it feels a lot different because you don't have that engagement one-on-one or with folks on a daily basis. And in a why you do, and you get to interact with members ongoing. And and for me, I've really started looking to get back into the why organization as a whole. And I saw this opportunity and I thought, well, that would be interesting. <laughs> and I talked with my son. I have a, what is now 17-year-old boy, and said, hey, what do you think about Door County? And he was like, mom, I'll go wherever. So really, it was <laughs> one of those- accommodating child. <laughs> he, he's very flexible and accommodating. Um, so it was one of those thoughts where I thought, hmm, we'll go after this and see where it takes us. Once I was afforded the opportunity to be with the Northern Door branch, I will tell you, working for this Y has and was different than any other Y experience I've hmm. ever had. And it goes back to- 
your earlier comment about this being unique in this community. The why of the USA when our Northern Door branch was, the thought process was there to bring that on, challenged this community saying, I don't know that you'll be able to to do this. This is this is not common and it probably won't be able to work. And the leaders at the time um, said, yeah, it will. And it did. And you feel that when you come into both of our branches, but as our association as a whole, not just from the member standpoint, but as an employee as well. There's just something very special about it. And when I had the opportunity now most recently to come back here and be the CEO for our organization, I said it's like coming home Hmm. with both the staff and the community. Well, you mentioned that, you know, it took some guts, it took some perseverance, not just to build that Fish Creek Center, but then to keep it going. Mm -hmm. And that probably takes that kind of perseverance and that, you know, problem solving every day to try and keep that flourishing. I grew up up in Egg Harbor before the Y. I think it was built my senior year of high school. And at that time, there just wasn't a place to go. I mean, they, they, the school really wasn't available to most of the kids after hours. And there was no other place to go recreate. All apologies to the Sister Bay Baptist Church. I did break into that church many times <laughs> to shoot buckets as a child because it was the only place, even from a kid in Egg Harbor, to go and, and shoot hoops, let alone find a, a gym to work out in. So by the time I was coaching high school basketball, starting in like 2004, I saw the difference in the experiences of the kids that I was coaching versus the childhood and the high school years that I had, where they would on a, you know, got an hour to kill before practice, gyms being used by the other teams. They go to the Y, they shoot hoops, they play in the pool, they work out, they're, they're lifting weights in the summer. As a, Mm -hmm. as an adult, I'd go work out and I'd see a lot of my players in there lifting and you have these other community interactions with the youth of the community that weren't available before the Y existed. So it, I saw the, the tremendous difference it made and for good and bad, like now we maybe don't have that same perspective of what a difference that does make. You mentioned the feel. You said there's a different feel. Can you tell me like what, like an example of what you mean by that when you say like there's just this this feel that you get when you're working at the Y versus other places you've worked? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's that true sense of community, camaraderie, and everyone serving the same purpose. And you do that, like I was doing that in in my other Y facilities that I've worked at, I guess. But really, it's just, it's this sense of overwhelming community and that you're all working for the same common good. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that what you do isn't going to impact anyone negatively. Um, and that's both from a staff standpoint and looking at members. I mean, you've probably witnessed it. People take care of our facilities like they're their own. Mm-hmm. Um, you walk into the facility and you just see that ownership, not only from the staff, but from the members. Everyone wants it to be good mm. and take it to the next level and be there for generations to come, not just for tomorrow, but for their grandchildren and the next generation. Tanya, in your role at the, the YMCA, do you, do you kind of feel that same thing? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I, I see and I feel a lot, like Heidi's saying, we have people that really embrace it and take ownership. So we see a lot of visitors, of course, which is great. And sometimes you see a visitor, you know, they, they might have a little bit of a look like, where should I go? And before a staff can almost even step in, there's always a member that says, ah, let me show you. Or, oh, mm-hmm. here, here's where we keep that here. And here's how we do this. And, and oh, if you haven't heard about that, we do this here. And you know, they're, they're just embracing it. I always feel like they are welcoming people in, like they're welcoming them into their home because they want everybody to like it. I have the opportunity to work with a lot of, a lot of our members one-on-one and I do a lot of tours for people that are considering joining the Y and they all say, 
I just can't believe how friendly everybody is and everybody wants to help out. And, you know, we have, we have a group of people that play pickleball. And <laughs> if I'm doing a tour when there's pickleball, they're like, you've got to join. And then this is when we play. And, and, you know, before these people even get out of the gym, they've met everybody playing pickleball. They know when the <laughs> schedule is. And I think they might, you know, have been loaned a paddle. You know, it, it's just, well, that pickleball that crew, there's some talkers <laughs> in that group. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, and they just want everybody to feel welcome. And I think that, you know, that is a big part of it. And I think that, you know, when we shut down for COVID, I think that that was hard for our community. Uh, we did a lot of one-on-one outreach. We were calling our members and just checking in to see how people were doing. And, you know, we were doing things that we never thought we'd be doing. We have a really great story about a, a an elderly woman who was kind of learning how to work her computer. And we were emailing back and forth. And, and then she wanted to learn, you know, what were these smiley faces and how do you get those? So we talked her through how to get emojis <laughs> and, you know, we get, we still get emails from her. She's in the facility almost every day. And then she also still sends an email with emojis because she's <laughs> figured it out. So to me, that's, that's something that you just don't find every place. And, and I also have the opportunity to talk with a lot of our visitors to the area and they will say, First of all, they can't believe that we have these two amazing facilities in this small community. They, they just cannot get over it. And they, they also say it's some of the friendliest people that they've come across. You know, they, they said, mm. I, I walk into the Y and I am a Y member in a different community and I, I know I belong, but this makes me really feel like I belong. Not just like that nobody addresses them, but every it's a new face and everybody is like, oh, who are you? Where are you from? What brought you in? Um, what can we show you? And I think our, our members as well as our staff are excited about that. And we, you know, just like when you're proud of your home or proud of your new car, you want to show everybody. And I think that's what our, our members and our staff really do. They're so proud. They take such pride in it and they just want to show everybody. You're both in an organization, you know, part of a sector that is, is hit as hard as anybody during the, the COVID pandemic, hopefully coming out the other side of it now. But Heidi, you took over in January, mm-hmm. right? In, and talking to Tom Bierstein last year, you know, they, they had reached going into COVID. They had like some of the highest membership numbers they'd ever had. They were really hitting some of the goals they had set out years ago. And then you see an immediate drop because obviously people watching their dollars, cutting back, can't use the facilities, all these different things, nothing you could plan for. So not a fun job to hop back into. And Tanya, you are the development director and the membership director. So one of the worst jobs in the world at that particular Mm -hmm. moment. What are things like now? Have things stabilized? Are they coming back? What has your approach to this been throughout the whole scenario? Sure. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things that we all kind of took a step back and thought, oh my, what are we going to do now? We were peaking at membership and it was exciting. We had done the renovation in our Fish Creek facility. And so we started to see that increase there. And then again, you know, me coming back into this, it was like, oh gosh, our numbers have dropped. Um, (laughs) But what we're seeing right now is numbers are coming back. And I think, you know, as COVID has gone on and we're kind of entering what hopefully will be soon a post-pandemic era, knowing that we might have hiccups along the way, really the focus was how can we still serve our members and what does that look like? As Tanya mentioned, we were doing phone calls with our members to check in on them and see how they're doing Um, because with this all, there's obviously some isolation and people were used to coming to the Y for that social engagement. You know, they came to the Y because, you know, they'd maybe take a class, maybe, um, because some of them just came to hang out because they knew their friends Sally and Joe and 
Susie, we're all going to be there. And they'd sit and have coffee for two hours after. Or frustratingly, sometimes try and talk to you while you're on the treadmill. And right. <laughs> or that. Or that. <laughs> yep. So it was like, how can we still create some of those packets? And so we also did the virtual classes because what we found is, and as we know, this community as a whole, we have a lot of folks who, who leave in the winter and return. But what we were able to do is connect them all winter long to their their instructors, their fellow classmates, whether they were in the Y, whether they were down south or wherever they go to for the winter months. And so it was just starting to think a little differently and creatively. You know, we had limited class sizes. Of course, we were looking for ways to get outside and, and pull people. You know, they didn't want to be indoors, so how could we get them outside? And so move some of our classes. And so frustrating as COVID was and continues on and off to be, it's taught us to think differently. And and through that, I guess it's stretched us, but it's also made us better. I, th- I was going to say, I think one of the things that we as a staff really kind of pulled back and asked ourselves, I think, you know, in, in any organization, you, you kind of have this vision and this idea and you go forward and do good work. And suddenly we were challenged with really asking the question of how do we as an organization show up in a meaningful way for our community? And what does that mean? Because the way that we are showing up for our community before, right, people would come in our doors, we'd offer classes, and it was all great. But And that was that. You know, they'd have their social time and all of those types of things. But then it couldn't just stop. And so we had to really get creative in how we were able to show up for our community. You know, like Heidi said, we, we did online classes and we had virtual classes, but we also jumped into a food program and we mm. reallocated staff and said, okay, so, you know, I'm a fundraiser and now I'm making sandwiches. Great. What do I, you know, <laughs> how many should I be making? Whatever it took to, to really show up for the community and, and make sure that our community felt the care and support that our community needed in a time when, you know, I think a lot of communities needed that. And I will always feel as, as difficult as that time was for our organization and our community as a whole, I feel very honored to have been a part of the solution and Mm. to have been standing outside, you know, in March and April in cold weather and handing out food to people that that needed it and having them look and say, this is really important. You know, I'm afraid to go to the grocery store or I don't have the means to get to a grocery store whatever it might be. And I I think that it really forced us to think differently. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think any organization who takes a step back and says, wait a minute, you know, let's think about this differently. And that we've learned a lot about that. And I think that's an important piece to carry forward, that we don't go back to how we've always done things, right? We don't go back to the way things were before because we learned so much. And why go through the learning process and all the struggles if you're not going to make a few changes? Well, those are great points. And I think in talking to a lot of different nonprofits and, and a couple of the ones I'm involved in myself, you know, you find that, okay, we never knew how to do a Zoom class before at right on Door County, but we had to figure that out and figure out new technology. Our board had to figure out new meeting technology. So we actually can do things we weren't able to do in the past. You can do some things more efficiently and you can also reach people you never thought you could reach through online classes. And maybe at the Y, maybe that's like you said, if you have a lot of seasonal residents mm-hmm. and most of the seasonal residents who come to Door County, even if they're only here for four months, they refer to Door County as home. Right. And wherever they go in the winter is like their second place. So they want to stay connected here. So that may, maybe that's an opportunity you guys have found at the Y. And I think looking at organizations and businesses, restaurants, not that there's a wrong response to something like COVID. Everyone had to figure out what right. they could do during that time of high anxiety and or, or even now. But some restaurants decided to reconfigure what they were and mm-hmm. redefine what they were. And, and some of them have flourished and found out, oh, I should have been doing this outdoor dining thing 
for decades. Right. <laughs> like, I left so much money on the table. Right. Yeah. Um, and the hotels found, my dad found better ways to do the breakfast service and all sorts of right. things like that. So it did kind of shake everybody out of any complacency they have, mm-hmm. I think. That said, the Y got hit with a, a big loss of membership. So mm-hmm. where does that stand now? How far did you drop? And then how far have you brought it back at this point? So when we closed our doors on uh, March, I think it was like 17th or 18th of 2020, we had uh, just over 9,000 members. So in the community, you know, when you think about Door County, it was every third person you passed on the highway was a member of the Door County Y. That was incredible. And that was such a great feeling. Then we quickly, you know, started to to drop. Um, it wasn't drastic at first because nobody really knew how long we would be closed. You know, yeah. if this is going to be two weeks, not a problem. Four weeks, well, I think we hit our, our low point uh, this past February and we were down to right around 6,000 members. Oh, wow. So that was a significant hit. However, now I'm going to just, I'm, you know, I'm going to spin this a little bit because I think that it's also important to know when we built these two facilities... I was on the board at one time, and I remember being a board chair and hearing the staff say, someday, if we can just get to 5,000 members, <laughs> if we could just get there, that's going to be amazing. That's and good perspective. I, so I kept looking and going, you know, is, is right. sometimes the bigger you are, the harder you fall. But I kept going back to we're still okay because I can still vividly remember the conversations of someday if we can just get to 5,000 members, and I knew we were over that. So I had this great sense of, it's going to be okay. And since February, we're, you know, bounced back up to almost, gosh, 7,300 members. So that's coming back. You know, again, we we got creative. When Heidi came on staff and, you know, had a a great vision, she, we had for years talked about how do we make our facilities accessible? And we were looking at it from the perspective of where do we, you know, cut a door in the lifestyle center so people can just go in and use the lifestyle center and, oh, that's going to cost a lot of money. And how do you make that work? And Heidi, asked a really great question of, can we think of it from a different perspective? Can we, you know, how, how about if we shift our thinking, not to how do we get people access into a certain point, but how do we give them access and then just lock off the areas that we don't want them um, having access to, like the pools and, and that type of thing. So in, I want to say, was it maybe April, we decided, okay, we're going to go forward and offer the ability for our members to have a 24-7 access to our facilities. And six weeks later, we were selling fobs and unlocking the doors at night. So it was, I shouldn't say unlocking the doors, but you know, having, having people have access to the facility 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was, again, a different perspective, and it was just kind of shifting that paradigm. And suddenly, you know, that kind of opened the floodgates. Um, yeah. You know, we, we thought, well, we'll see, you know, we'll see some and this will trickle in. And we were not prepared for what we saw in, I would say, the first six weeks of selling fobs and people coming back because now they want to be part of the why because they can, right, they can come when it works for them. Right. And they don't have to worry about if it's crowded at that time or how many people are there. You know, they nine o'clock at night, it's kind of quiet. So that's when they show up or whatever it might be. Or we have, you know, a group that comes in and plays basketball at 10 o'clock at night. Great. They know they're going to have the gym. There's not going to be anybody saying, oh, we've got a class now. So those those are huge things. Those are huge. As a a user for so many years, you know, you'd get frustrated. Oh, I really can't can't go until 630. Like I really need to do it 530 to 630. Uh, Mm -hmm. And a lot of workers do or or A lot of people can't get in there till nine or 10 at night or basketball. You know, there were so many times of going, 
all right, we're getting kicked out, like right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. But that's also leaves a bad customer impression too. So you're eliminating that that factor of it mm-hmm. too is like a right. bad customer experience. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so really that accessibility, I mean, those are some of the things that we were looking at on how do we grow membership back. And one of the ideas was the 24-7 access with accessibility and really meeting our members where they needed to be met. Mm-hmm. Um, as Tanya alluded to, you know, with that, there are some people who don't feel comfortable working out in the facilities with a lot of people around. So this affords that opportunity. I had a conversation with an individual that I know who has a son who's 18, 19 years old. And he's, you know, very grateful and thankful that we do have 24 seven access because his boy and several of his friends are playing basketball at our Northern door facility at 10, 11 o'clock. And it's providing them that opportunity for a different alternative from other things that they could be doing for sure. that they don't want to be doing. Yeah. Um, with that, we also looked at, at how our membership categories are structured. We know our young adult category ended at age 23, but we know a lot of folks are actually still starting out at that point. You know, they've just graduated college and they're looking, they just maybe have landed their first job, getting their first apartment, have a car payment that maybe mom and dad are no longer paying. And so we really took a step back and and looked and said, hmm, do we need to look at this a little differently? And so we did expand that. So our young adult now goes through age 29. Mm. Um, And so I believe, again, these are all probably factors that did help in that that growth that we've been seeing since February. That's really an interesting way to think about it too with the young adults. Like you don't finish college and then have money in your pocket. Right. right. (laughs) You have debt, you have, right? I mean, you, it's not like a whole new book. You're, you're still kind of in the same book and maybe a new chapter, but. Yeah. Especially in Door County where, you know, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe you got your four year degree, but if you're in Door County, you probably, it's very rare that you just jumped into a, a really great professional job at that point with a great salary. So you're probably getting saddled with the debt right now. You're probably in maybe the worst financial <laughs> in financial it years could, of right. your life. Yeah, right. it, it really could be. And, and you know, we heard that from people. And, you know, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't also mention, because I think I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday and they said, why doesn't everybody know this? Oh, if, here, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. We have a program that's called Membership for All. We go out into the community every year and we raise $500,000 or $525,000 on a peninsula in a community of very generous people, I will tell you that our why, we raise more dollars per capita than most of them out there. Mm. And we raise that money so we can put it back into the community. So when somebody says, oh, I'd love to be part of the why, but it's just financially it doesn't work for me or my family, that we can say, wait a minute, let's take a look at this. What can you afford? Where are you at? And how can we help you? Because we never want anyone to be turned away from an inability to pay because we have the money. That's what we go out into this community for every year. And we, we rely on the generosity of people in our community. And it's our job to make sure that those generous donations go right back to where they're needed. So to me, that's a biggie. So we always want to try to do what we can. That's the right thing to make sure people can have access to our facilities and to our programs that we know are changing people's lives, improving people's lives, and in in some cases, honestly, saving their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not in that moment, but over the long term or the long haul. We hear it all the time. Yeah, that's I know a lot of people have taken advantage of that scholarship Mm -hmm. program over the years. Definitely helped a lot of people be part part of the why. Absolutely. And you know, now the why you talked about some of those new things that you're offering, you have a much bigger new thing um, that you've just embarked on with a new expansion of the Sturgeon Bay facility. A few years ago, you, the YMCA redid the 
or actually expanded the workout facility at the Northern Doors Program Center. What's the plan in, in Sturgeon Bay? Sure. So really, when we did our expansion at the Fish Creek facility, it was the expansion of the wellness center and, and weight room area. And with that, we saw about a 25% increase in our membership for that particular facility. That's a user up there. It was a huge upgrade. It's huge it's upgrade. It's beautiful, <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. I started right after basically the grand opening of that, and it was like, oh my, this is beautiful. <laughs> I was the lucky recipient of being able to to oversee that operation. So here, you know, COVID again has really limited our space. And and we were looking at going on this capital campaign prior to COVID. COVID just reinforced it. Um, so our Sturgeon Bay facility has not been touched as far as a renovation since we opened it. Um, so in the 24 years that that building has been there, um, it has not had anything outside of the Peterson pool done to it. Mm. With that, we have grown that membership base in that particular program center has grown and we've become very tight. Um, right now, one of our gyms is no longer available because it has stationary strength equipment in it. Mm. And based on just now what our best practices, we will not be able to move that equipment back into what is our, our lifestyle or wellness center. So part of this is to really, you know, expand that wellness center and be able to one, open up that space, but really also expand program offerings and do the refresh and renovation that that facility needs. In addition, we'll be adding an activity center that will be a two-room facility that will, during the summer months, house our summer camp program, um, and then during the school year, house other programs as well. That space for the summer camp, during the summer, like Heidi said, it will be used for summer camp, and then we're bringing back our after-school programming on a greater level. We certainly recognize that as people are getting back to work and, you know, where do the kids go after school? So, and we also recognize um, that we've learned along the way, not every child wants to play soccer or football. So we're going to have this space where kids can come in and get some homework help, get reading done, maybe do a photography class or an art class or get swimming lessons or their dance class, karate, whatever it is that they really enjoy. You know, I, I as a parent, I think, how great would this have been to you know, send your children to school, pick them up at, you know, 5, 5.15 at the Y, and they've had their homework is done, their swimming lessons are done, and we can go home and just be a family, have a nice dinner and sit together and ask my children about their day rather than, you know. Aren't you an idealist? I, right? I know. So hang out with me. Um, but, you know, to just have that time and, and this will afford families, we hope, you know, more time with their with their kids and not that running and that, that constant loop that parents get on. So we'll also do other programming during the day outside of school hours. We'll be able to use that space for other types of classes or if we have certain groups that want to come in, we have groups that come in and they want to play Sheep's Head and Mahjong and, and they just need some space. And right now we're really tight on that space and mm. can't always offer it if there's a, a class happening or you know a Y program that's happening. We want to be able to be a good community partner and have space for people to come in and you know play a game of cards or we have a, a group, the Women's Heart Health, to come in and be able to hold their class about heart health. It makes sense to hold it at the Y. How does how does some of these offerings differentiate from, say, like what the Boys and Girls Club offers? Mm-hmm. So I think that they're, you know, they look at life skills, right? Okay. And and we're looking at a little bit different, the, the physical aspect, but we're also looking at the whole child. They do too. They're looking okay. at the whole child. I think the thing that as a community, we have to remember, we have enough children in this community that neither one of the organizations can serve all the children. 
Mm. We just, we both need each other. And we, a lot of kids kind of cross over depending on what activity they want to do on any given day. But it's really, you know, they're a partner with us um, and we with them to make sure that all of the kids are served and nobody's slipping through the cracks and that it becomes accessible for everyone. Yeah, I would say it's, you know, as we look at it and we've met with staff from the Boys and Girls Club as well as United Way and and just talked about where are the needs um, as well as various school districts in our community and where are the needs and where are those gaps and how can we how can we help and where is our fit? And so I believe it's just a good balance and having open communication to make sure that we aren't duplicating services, rather complementing. Sure. How much is it going to take to, to do this expansion? So it's a $7 million campaign. And right now we're in the, if you want to call it the quiet phase or that major phase, we hope to be more in a community campaign phase come uh, late fall. So we know that just for, mm-hmm. if, if you're familiar with the nonprofit world, you know what you're talking about. But yeah, for those yes. who are not, sure. I think it's important to say, like, we throw out phrases like capital campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that when we talk about school districts as well. But the difference is, like, a capital campaign is going toward, for lack of a better word, like hard costs, like building costs right. and infrastructure costs. Right. A word I hate. Infrastructure <laughs> is another right. one I shouldn't even use. <laughs> um, so just your facility. So like when bricks Gibraltar, and mortar. yeah, bricks yeah. and mortar. When bricks Gibraltar did their expansion mm-hmm. for their library and mm-hmm. y- and IMC, when Sevastopol is redoing that whole building, those are your capital campaigns, capital costs. Then there are also school districts will go for referendums for ongoing costs for just maintaining programming mm-hmm. and maintaining educational programs. So that's the same thing with the why. Like you have an, yes. an annual campaign to raise money for the scholarship program. This is a separate capital campaign specific to the Sturgeon Bay facility upgrade. Correct. Okay. Yep. Great. Yeah, yeah you, you nailed it. That's correct. <laughs> right. So nothing more to add to that. But I just wanted to make make sure people understand that difference. And we should share um, with the addition of the wellness center, what it will also currently or what it will do is currently where the wellness center is located, that will change into a community room and social spaces. So again, as, as we're coming out of COVID, people are wanting to have that social interaction, that engagement with each other. Right now, we don't have that space available because rooms that we had that in have been converted to program space because we're limited based on the number of people we're allowing in classes and so forth. And so with this addition, it's going to open up some other spaces for those social spaces, community room, the movement of or renovation interior will be a family and an adaptive locker room because right now at the Sturgeon Bay location it's at the furthest most point of that facility which makes absolutely no sense Mm -hmm. it will be moved up closer to the front of the building and so there's just a lot of interior renovation that will be done as well yeah imagine after 25 what what year was the Sturgeon Bay facility completed was it I think it was before the the fifth grade one. But. Yeah, um, so it was 1997, and yeah. then the pool was added in 2001. Mm-hmm. So 25 years later, you probably recognize yeah. some things like, wow, I wish we would have done this different. Right, right. I wish well, this was located here. Just like when you build a house, right? You you get into it, live in it for a while, and you think, okay, if I were to do this again, the closets would be bigger, the pantry would be larger, the laundry, right? It's it's kind of the same idea, but you also find out how also there was a time when we said if we can get 5,000 members, isn't that going to be great? <laughs> well. Right. That was kind of, you know, the what was going to fill that space. And now that we far exceeded that, it is really tight. You know, it, it's kind of like um, I said to somebody, think of think of having a three bedroom house and you think this is great. And then you have a baby and you're like, we still have space. And then you have triplets and you're like, wait a minute. 
now what? Where where are we going to go with all of this? <laughs> you know, it's just, you just kind of outgrow the space. And I, I think the other thing too is working to upgrade the space so that it is adaptable for anybody. We also know that we serve a lot of seniors in our community and we want to make sure that, that it is comfortable for seniors to get into our facility, do the workout that they need or want to do, and that they can comfortably and safely get back out of the facility. When we had everything, all of our cardio equipment and our strength training equipment in one room, you know, you keep adding equipment to a, to a space because, you know, people are requesting more treadmills and, and that type of thing. But suddenly you don't have space to get people on and off equipment. We do uh, programming in that area for people with Parkinson's. Mm. Now, if you can imagine putting somebody on a treadmill and having them walk backwards, and not having the space to really support them, it, it's kind of a frightening situation. But these are the things that a person with Parkinson's needs to do to kind of help retrain the brain and create new pathways. So, you know, we, we also look and go, we can do better, right? We have to do better. We need to, yeah, we need to do better. I would say I've definitely been guilty of this in the past is looking, you know, going into the why and going, well, you could cram so much more in here. We could have this equipment here. Absolutely. We could have this here. But you have a unique and diverse client base that mm-hmm. say like a, you know, the gym I went to in Chicago didn't have or some cer- certain box gyms, the smaller facilities don't have where you can go after a, a very niche target clientele. Right. You're serving the high school kids, the little kids. Right. You're serving the hardcore workout people, but you're also serving, like you said, a, a lot of senior population. What kind of things do you have to, you mentioned the Parkinson situation, but mm-hmm. like you need more room to maneuver. You need mm-hmm. safer spaces. I think of my mom uh, before she passed, but taking her to the YMCA and as she was battling with dementia and things like that and balance issues, mm-hmm. small obstacles that to me are easy to get around. Right. Scared to death out of me watching my mom trying to maneuver. Right. 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 I think, you know, I, I think that what I see a lot of people come in, you know, a casual user, you know, even a, somebody who's really tied to the why they come in and they know their, their corner of the why. And that's great. I think when people take a step back, we do vision tours as we talk about this expansion and those vision tours have been eye-opening for people. They're like, Mm. I had no idea that, you know, that they'll come in at a different time than they normally do. And they're like, I had no idea that you have people coming in in walkers and how do they get on and off the machines? Right. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to solve is, is how do we give them the space and not just that, but also how do we upgrade our equipment so that if they're going to step onto a treadmill or get onto a bike, that all of the seats swing out so they can just, you know, make an easy transfer. I always think it's interesting, you know, we get to be there throughout the day. So we see, you know, everything from the early morning workout crew to the seniors that come in mid morning and then the kids, we can see all the different needs of our members and the people that are using our facility. And it is incredibly varied. Hmm. You mentioned where you're at now is the the quiet phase. So you're going after your big donors (laughs) and trying to build a base. One of those, Glenn Timmerman just announced a $1 million pledge. What are the next steps in this fundraising campaign? What do people need to know? Where do they go for more information? Yeah, I would say really our next steps are continuing to reach out to some folks. And then um, really for more information, it's contacting Tanya or myself at the Y. We're happy to talk people through our plans. And as Tanya mentioned, doing the vision tours and, and really get more informed about the why and how we want to do this. You know, we we very much thank Glenn Barb and their son, Nate Timmerman, for the wonderful gift. It was very overwhelming for us to receive and really kind of, I would say, I think gave us the kickstart, like, wow, this this can happen. Um, <laughs> and seeing the excitement in their eyes, too, of why they want to do this and so forth, and knowing that this gift is going to help serve generations to come. And I think that's what we really need to take a step back and look at. It's 
this new plan and, and where we're going with this is not just for the next 15 years. This will serve generations to come because of the layouts that we're trying to do and and some of the thought process that has now gone into it. So, but really I think the best bet is, you know, if you have questions, absolutely reach out to Tanya or myself and, and we're happy to share anything we can with you. Are there renderings or artist sketches of what you're planning? Yeah, we do have some renderings. We're getting a few more um, based on some of ours were outdated because of the changes that we did make, but um, we do have some renderings that, that we are starting to share. All right. And they're exciting. They're really exciting. <laughs> yeah, they're really every, fun, every, every time we show people, we, we get a collective, oh, come on. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I think, you know, for the Door County Y is often referred to as the little, the little Y that could, you know, it's taking our, our little Y that could to a new level. It's just going to be amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck on the campaign. And thank you both for joining us today on the Door County Pulse podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.